The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name's Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by Chris Dow. It ventilates the air. And Minty Booth. Prick with a fork. And we are talking about our absolute favourite video games of all time. Announcement! Announcement! If you didn't tune in last week, you may well have noticed a slight change to our formula for this season. We've decided to split our episodes up to tackle an individual amendment per episode instead of all three of us banging on about stuff for several hours. Hopefully that will prove to be a snappier listen for you, and it means we can continue to produce the show at the quality that we want, and you, frankly... I mean, to be honest, don't probably deserve. But if you want to hear more of us uh, and you're thinking 45 minutes a week of our vocal scratchings don't quite satiate your wanton itches, you can start by heading to our Patreon page where, in exchange for a few pennies of pledging, you can get access to a whole host of extra bonus content such as... Full bonus episodes, exclusive deleted scenes and outtakes, super special video content and access to our Discord server where you can join with our wonderful community. And if you're fed up of hearing Chris and Minty's deadweight comments dragging down my cavalcade of excellence and you want to hear more of just this voice, then you can also check out fellow HyperX Podcast Network podcast, Chat of the Wild. Chat of the Wild is a superb Zelda-centric show where each season they play through one of the green-capped entries, a dungeon or so per episode, and chat as they play. And I've had the great pleasure and indeed privilege of joining them for this past season where we have been playing... The Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks, the plucky touchscreen controlled game from the days of the DS. We're nearing the end of our journey, so it's a great time to check out the show, catch up on all the episodes of this season, subscribe, and make sure you don't miss us finger galloping our way to seal the darkness away and shut it in a clamshell. New this April from HyperX, it's the HyperX Clutch Controller. Get better control of your mobile gaming with its comfortable grip, directional pad, analog sticks, and shoulder buttons. This versatile controller can fit a variety of phone widths and can also connect wirelessly for use on tablets and PCs. Learn more and pick one up online at HyperXNHP.com, Amazon, Micro Center, Target, Best Buy, and other fine retailers. Hot topic. topic. <laughs> <laughs> This is a new section of the show, which may or may only last for one episode, talking about what's going on in the gaming world. And before we talk about what we played this week, we want to tackle a couple of the warmest of Spudlingtons. First of all, Sony have announced their potential Game Pass competitor uh, with the evolution of their PlayStation Plus service and what they've done is they basically fused their ps plus and ps now services into one thing and they've made it basically cost the same as having both of them <laughs> i mean they're also saying that like there's there's going to be different tiers you can subscribe to if you just want to get like the the free monthly games from ps plus or if you want to get like a whole back catalog of ps one two three four five 
P S P whatever um, <laughs> games. There's like that, that they're doing that, and then also like the the top tier will get you access to first party sony games it's the other way around is it it's it's the middle tier is is all the games and the top tier is the classic stuff oh is that right yeah (laughs) shows how much i know about this hot topic topic. (laughs) chris tell us about it i'm I'm not keen on this at all and and this is (laughs) this is very much like down to kind of my personal taste i think so for some people it might be fantastic but i think for me it it fails on on several fronts and and one (laughs) of the biggest problems from the outset Sony don't have the money to compete with Microsoft when it comes to big studio acquisitions. And I don't think Sony can afford to hobble their main revenue stream either, which is selling first-party AAA games. That's why people are still buying PlayStations as as much as they are, because they want to play Spider-Man or God of War or or whatever else. And I'm I'm pretty confident they are not going to be offering like day one releases of those games on their PlayStation Now service. Because like as a case in point, the, the baseball game MLB The Show... It's, it's a multi-platform game, like a sports title, but it's developed in-house by Sony. It's launching for free on Microsoft's Game Pass day one, but it'll be 50 quid on the PlayStation Network. Yeah. Like, it, it, it doesn't make any sense, but they, they don't have the same, like, financial clout just to chuck stuff around and take a loss. And, and PlayStation Now, which essentially, as I mentioned, is like the middle tier of this service, that's existed for years, and almost no one has been interested because... The people who who obviously subscribe to something like Game Pass are getting these big marquee releases. And generally in PlayStation Now, you're not. You're not quite getting the same stuff. And I'm sure there is a decent amount of games there if you just want to kind of play a smattering of, you know, I think there's three or 400 games included. And that might be great for some people. But you're not going to get the same package where obviously Xbox can offer all Microsoft published stuff, all Bethesda published stuff now, all Activision published stuff like out of the gate on day one. And it's it's just not going to be the same thing. The thing that rankles me most for kind of my interests is then the top tier with access to kind of classic stuff, the PlayStation 1, 2, PSP, whatever, until they unveil a bit more info as to how they're going to include these games, how they're going to be packaged, how how they're going to be emulated, like I don't know how it works yet. I don't believe they're going to be anything more than the PS2 and PSP stuff that was already available on the PS4. Yeah. Because there's a good there's a good chunk of PS2 stuff that's already on there that's been ported over and, and you know shined up and up or whatever, and you know it won't take much work to just bundle a few extra PlayStation One games in and then hit whatever number target they're aiming for. Yeah, and it and it annoys me. It really annoys me that Sony have the money and the tech to offer full hardware backwards compatibility for all previous generations if they want to on the PlayStation Five, and they have actively chosen not to pursue this because in their minds it's. You know, it's not going to make them the money they, they think it should. And that just makes me really sad. Someone argued with me on Twitter about, about licensing being the main holdup. But as far as I understand, like in my own head, you'd only need a licensing renegotiation if the game itself is being repackaged to be resold. And if this is just an emulation solution that lets you put a disc in and then the PS5 will interpret it and play it, there can't be any additional cost there. It's not doing anything else. All you're saying is, can you interpret this data? You're not, you're not pulling anything down. You're not getting any, any extra stuff from their servers. And I think it's just, it's a wider failure on the part of the whole industry that no one seems to believe that old games are worth preserving properly because this is Sony and Nintendo now both saying, you know, we've got a subscription service with, with some old games on it. You can access, you know, if you pay this infinite cost that will never, ever have an end point. And at the same time, it's saying, are your favorites going to be there in a year's time? Who knows? Because we don't care. It's it's like, you know, as much as you think it's unlikely, Nintendo with their service at the moment in a month could say, oh, Super Metroid is leaving the uh, the SNES online service. 
And for some people, that that could be a deal breaker. That could be a game they absolutely love, and there'd then be no legal way to to access that. And um, I think Sony's going to be similar. You know, it'd be a rolling door thing that after a while they might say, oh yeah, you know, Jack and Dax is on there at the moment, but it will be leaving in, in December. And it's just a strange way to treat like these big properties. Um, even Microsoft, for all, for all the kind of goodwill they've built up over recent years, they still essentially only offer access to original Xbox and 360 titles that they can profit from again in some way. And it's, it's better than nothing because you can essentially buy a 360 disc, pop it in your console and a lot of the time it will play. But it's not quite the magnanimous approach that they're, they're trying to sell you. And it just, it bothers me that none of the main hardware manufacturers or big publishers are doing anything to preserve their own legacies, really. Because, you know, Konami coming out and saying, we're doing Castlevania NFTs. <laughs> that, that doesn't count. That doesn't count no. at all. Um, Sony sticking Parappa the Rapper on promo artwork doesn't count. Charging a sliding scale of subscriptions to access table scraps of old content doesn't count. And so it ends up the same way that I, I always come back to, that if you want to play games that aren't available on these main storefronts, emulation and then by extension piracy becomes your only real option because you know sony's revision to to playstation plus looks good as a headline topic but it's just another example of a big name publisher making it really clear to customers and consumers that we don't care about this stuff like it it might just be like a carrot on a stick to entice a few people to give us you know 30 60 90 quid a month or year whatever it ends up being but it's it's not a service for me i think because i can access this stuff in a better way (laughs) <laughs> you know and, and if they don't want to give me access to this stuff in a way that i can pay them then then that's what i'll resort to because I, I think it's important to be able to to play this stuff and see the history of games there we go there we go what are your views on it uh let us know at o3c games or cut out the middleman at Chaz underscore hodges um <laughs> <laughs> The other thing that's been in the video gaming news of the last uh, week is Nintendo announcing that The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild 2 has been delayed. <laughs> surprising no one. <laughs> I mean surprising absolutely no one and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say I'm always happy for games to be delayed. In fact, yeah. I think I I never think delays for anything are a bad thing because in many ways delays are the opposite of microtransactions. Like you you never financially benefit from delaying the release of a game or a film or anything. In fact, Nintendo's stock dropped 6% after the announcement of the Zelda delay, which is mad. So delays are only ever employed to ensure quality. And that's something that should always be encouraged. Like, you look at the, the train wrecks that happen when something is released before it's finished and properly tested, and, and, you know, that's a response and a reaction that isn't easily corrected, no matter how many apologies and patches you issue. And I'm not saying that Nintendo heard this show and my comments about Breath of the Wild sequel needing to seriously up its game in the wake of Elden Ring, but those two events happened in a certain order. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> like... I mean, what what it does guarantee now is that Elden Ring has a straight shot at Game of the Year, doesn't it? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, there isn't now any competitor essentially. I mean, twenty twenty two is already yeah, it's already an incredible year for gaming. Even without that game in the calendar, we've still got tons of stuff to look forward to, and it has increased the vocal demand for Nintendo to give us something Zelda-y on the Switch this year, prompting you know obviously people to make fresh requests for the Wind Waker and Twilight Princess HD ports or like the Oracle games to get a remake, a la Link's Awakening. I even had one theory that that an online multiplayer Zelda game could be in development, like oh, Four Swords dear. Online or something like that. I don't know. What do you guys make of it? Minty, what are your thoughts 
that's a that's a mixture of feelings and thoughts. I wasn't dropping my <laughs> ths. I do not give a solitary shit about delays. I don't. <laughs> like I, I've had tickets to uh, Shonen Knife's fortieth anniversary tour for about two years now, and uh, in the past couple of weeks they pushed it back to next April. Like I don't care. I'm still going to go see them. Look at the hierarchy of outcomes for shit like this. Like number one, you've got no delays. It happens on time, and you you're gratified in the in the appropriate timescale. That's the ideal scenario. On number two, you've got a delay because more shit gets put in. In this case, like it, it happens later, you get some delayed gratification. It still happens, and it's better than not what than what they were planning when they were going to bring it out um, on the date that they were. That they said they were going to bring it out on. Um, in tier three, it's a delay. No, don't put anything out in, but it, it happens later. It's, you still get delayed gratification and it still happens. Right at the bottom is a cancellation where nobody's happy. It's a Zelda game. It's not going to be like fucking Duke Nukem Forever or the fifth Corn <laughs> album. It's going to be good. And I'm glad that they're delaying it if it means that not only will it be the best it can be, but it avoids a crunch for the developers. What a villainous concept crunches are, honestly. They need a few more months to come up with a name for it because it's not going to be the sequel to the Breath of the Wild forever. <laughs> so, you know, the- why not? We genuinely consider calling Nora <laughs> baby girl. The only thing I can add to this conversation is think back to how many times Breath of the Wild got delayed, and then when it came out, it was one of the greatest games of all time. So I'm I'm on board with the delay. <laughs> I've got I've got no problem waiting. Is all I'll say. Exactly. I mean, look, look, look what it's following. It's following one of the greatest games that's ever been made, and it needs to take it one step further. I mean, look at what we know about it now, following all of the uh, all the teaser trailers and announcements. We know it's set in Hyrule, um, and also above Hyrule. Like Breath of the Wild, Hyrule was fucking massive, and now they're adding floating islands and a whole load of other stuff. Going by this latest announcement, like they need time. This video gave us. Uh, as well as the, 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 the sad news, it gave us tantalizing new information. Like, not just in uh, in the new promises from Mr. Anuma, but also a broken Master Sword that's, that looks like it's got the same affliction as Link's crispy arm. Like, th- these are things that are going to keep <laughs> us going, and they're going to pay in dividends when the game comes out. I'm sure of it. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. That was a surprise announcement we got earlier this year, and that's going to help tide people over because it's yet another beloved Nintendo franchise with an open-world twist. And who knows? Like maybe before uh, they come out, we'll get an announcement for fucking Super Mario Iliad before next spring as well. <laughs> that is a good name. That is a good name. There we go. What do you think is going to happen with Zelda? Do you like delays? Who knows? That, no, it's a rhetorical question. Hang on. No, it's Torical. <laughs> <laughs> Get in touch with us at O3Z Games. Tell us about Zelda, thoughts upon it, and all of that stuff. What have we played this week? Minty, what have you played? So, those of you who are in the Discord will know that I've got a new phone recently. Um, I've, Ooh, I've, yeah, I've, I've jumped ship to, to an Android phone, and outside of the teething problems of everything taking like a good three or four steps longer than getting something done on an iPhone. Uh, I'm having a great time with it. I mention this because this has been what I've been playing this week. I have got a hold of a couple of emulators. Ooh. I'm finally joining uh, the emulation crowd here. And I have been playing, if you can believe it, Pokemon games. Oh, oh really? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. 
making the most of the last 40 years of available roms <laughs> yeah yeah <clears throat> this goes back to when i when i last had an android phone and all i would play was pokemon crystal on it now that i'm i finally got a phone that's got a, a decent bit of uh decent bit of processing um behind it i of course yes moved on to just uh, just more pokemon games as opposed to more, more more taxing roms but i have been playing a randomizer of pokemon silver Ooh. as we know pokemon silver is my uh, is, is my second favorite game of all time and i thought instead of just playing through pokemon silver again and um, just 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 I, wallowing in the filth of my own nostalgia. Let's put a gentle and new twist on it. So I, I found I found a, uh, a ROM which randomizes the locations of all the Pokemon in the game. It randomizes all the uh, all the teams that trainers have in the game, and I'm pretty sure it randomizes all the items as well. So it's got the familiarity of uh, of the game, um, which I which I grew up playing. But you never quite know what you're going to get as you walk into the tall grass. It's given the game a, a whole new lease of life for me. I, I'm having a wonderful time with it. Does this mean that Whitney doesn't have her dreaded mill tank? No, Whitney had. Um, oh, it's, it's been a while since I've uh, since I got to her, but um, I think she had a gloom and something else um, equally as innocuous, equally as disappointing. Yeah, yeah. The uh, I guess the sort of the very slight cultural phenomenons around characters like Whitney and how and how everybody sort of had trouble with her and her mill tank. They, they are gone. That's that's going to be tra- traded for the fact that at any point someone could have a mill tank. That is much more terrifying. Oh yeah, yeah. Ooh, I don't know if I like that. It's not just uh, it's not just coming up against that one specific um, tanky mill tank either, because. Um, because everything's randomised. It's like everything's just been thrown into one pot and just scattered around the land. So that includes legendary Pokemon as well. Yeah, so you may come across a trainer on, so it's a Route 2 that has uh, has a Lugia or, or something that is just <laughs> extraordinarily powerful. But then it would it would still be like level five or something. Though. Yeah, yeah, but it's also got the, uh, the higher base stats that, that make it a yeah. little bit more... A little bit more tricky. Um, on the flip side, though, um, I found a Ho-Oh on Route 1. Amazing. Or 101 or whatever it is in this game. And my team at the moment is... I got my Feraligator to level like 30 within maybe 20 minutes just because <laughs> there were places where I could I could grind fighting wild legendary Pokemon over and over and just get fuckloads of xp interestingly totodile was the only the only original starter that appeared on the starting table i think it was a choice between that a cedra mm. like a like a caterpie or something you'll see videos of some streamers who like oh what are we gonna get and they get they get a legendary right off the bat or a mewtwo or something like that <laughs> but no such luck for me so i got i got a feraligator um, i found a dragonite on the second route as well like a, a level five dragonite and also uh and also a Lugia in the Burnt Tower. So that's my that's my team at the moment. Is it still just Generation One and Two? Yes, yes. It's not. Uh, it's not because I know that I know that there are ROM hacks that put more generations into the older ones. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't quite branched out that far just yet. I thought I'll, I'll pick something. No need. No need. Best ones are in there. 
well, yeah, yeah. But once I complete this, I think I'm going to go for I'm going to go for one that's a little bit more out there, something with its own story and and pixel art of uh, of the 3D model Pokemon, which I think is oh yeah, that, that that's a that wild stuff. undertaking. Yeah, yeah. So big respect to everybody who's uh, making uh, making Pokemon fan games, making fan made Pokemon, all the rest of it. We'll get around to playing those at some point soon and that's it for me really i've just been just been sat on my phone <laughs> chris how about you what have you played in this last week i've had a busy week actually Ooh, busy working um, not so much i mean i've just started my holiday my my easter holiday easter oh, break wonderful so to, to mark the start of that i picked up the the next evercade cartridge so they've had a slow release schedule in 2022 off off the back of doing their the vs console at the end of yeah. last year so this is actually the first one for for this new year um, and it's the Renovation Collection. Um, as far as I can tell, it collects together 12 Mega Drive games from different developers, all published by Renovation Products, who I'd never heard of, but I, I sort of vaguely recognise some of the games on the cartridge. But the games are all quite notable here, not because they're big names for the Mega Drive, but because to buy this collection, if you were going to try and get original cartridges for the Mega Drive, would probably run you £1,000. Like they're, they're all games that had really low prints, limited region releases and because of that it's got a sort of curio value that a lot of the sets don't don't necessarily carry mm. if you take the worms pack for example i know worms I, I like worms and it's cool to have a physical copy of worms armageddon essentially sat on the shelf but with this set i have legit licensed access to a number of games across genres that i don't know outside of a few and i think there's something quite special about discovering games via bespoke hardware like this because you know you just give it a bit more time than if you just find them in a in a ROM list of a thousand games via an emulator. So I'm not going to bore you with the list of games in this thing because that would be boring, I imagine, for most people. <laughs> and I think it's fair to say that if I didn't recognise them, other people might not either. <laughs> so um, lost yeah, I, I've enjoyed that a lot though. There's there's a real mix of genres. Like there's there's a couple kind of traditional action, run and gun sort of slashy action games i don't know what you'd call them there's a few rpgs there's some some shmups there's a lot of ground covered there and it's it's just really nice to see kind of the library expanding in interesting ways i, I think is what I, I enjoy about the evercade the other major thing that i that i have to mention is on the saturday uh, i finally had my triumphant return to the arcade club oh, with my brother tom fantastic and I've I've mentioned this place multiple times before. It comes up all the time in the show, but I haven't been there now in close to three years owing to the pandemic. And to be able to go back and things feel not just the same, but better in almost every regard was incredible. Cleaner? <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Like it's 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 my favourite place on earth, no question. None taken. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't gonna rank your house in there. I was thinking my heart. Oh too late. But even with that <laughs> You know, Jonathan Dunn's heart withstanding. <laughs> to to truly understand the personal value of this place to mm. me, you know, in order to get there, it's a six hundred mile round trip. <laughs> and that is a that is a minimum of five hours each way, which may sound insane, but it is totally worth it for me. And post pandemic, I really didn't know what this place would feel like. Because I know it had been able to open a few times over the last two years, but always with kind of different things that had to be put in place to make sure it was safe, to make sure it was following kind of COVID regulations and everything else. And I was worried that if I went during one of those times, it would kind of taint my memory of visiting at a time when I wouldn't have had to, you know, follow anti-back quarantine or or to specify the four hour window that I would be in the premises for track and trace reasons. And it's just so lovely to go in 2022 and it be as it was, or, you know, as I remember, just with a hundred extra machines, probably a whole additional floor of things to explore, a wider bar and food selection, like everything is better. 
and yet it's only a few pence more than it was before. Like, I think the entry price for the day is one pound more. It's now 16 quid for an all-day pass. Do you still pay to play the games? No, everything's free play. Fuck, I didn't... Everything's free play. Jesus. And it's just, it is a cavalcade of riches. It's really is. <laughs> Like, on, on the Saturday, we, we got up at 3am down here. We, we drove straight to Manchester. We had a breakfast, and then we stayed in the arcade club from 11am when it opened to about 10pm. And that's when, you know, my eyes started to flag, <laughs> given the early start, because we played a lot of games. And rather than go into detail on them, I'm going to list some of the ones I gave the most time to, but mainly just as a teaser, because I'm going to write an article for the website, basically just breaking some of these down in a bit more detail oh, in case people are interested. So if anyone wants to check back in the next week or so, I should have kind of fuller thoughts on some of these uh, on, on the website, 03c.games. Ooh. So I, I played I played Daytona. I played a more modern Daytona Championship. I played Sega Rally, of course. I played House of the Dead Crimson Tears, a game I didn't know existed. Uh, I finally got to play Darius Burst in the arcade. Oh, I played the, the Capcom Brawler, Aliens vs. Predator. I got to play Tetris Terror Instinct for the first time, which is great. I played a shoot up called Batsu Gun. I played an old platform game called Zookeeper. Some other classics like Flicky and Time Pilot. I quite enjoyed even Doodle Jump Arcade in the context of it being a free-to-play arcade. I played a lot of Quick and Crash. <laughs> I got a good go on uh, Rhythm Tengoku Arcade. It, it's just bananas that Game Boy Advance game has a full arcade cabinet, but there you go. <laughs> Tom played a lot of Virtua Tennis, <laughs> so I have some thoughts on that as well. And then some weird ones I'd never heard of, a game called Golly Ghost, which was a light gun game, a kind of big physical smash the button game called Monkey Mole Panic that we sort of had high score challenges on. And also Super Pang, because I'm, I'm very fond of a game called Pang Adventures on the, on the PS4. I last played it. And this is one of the earlier examples in, in that franchise. But it's all good stuff. And, and the place is just fascinating to me because it covers such a range of arcade experiences. Like in the early 80s, the arcade was the place to play games full stop for a lot of people. By the late 80s and early 90s, it was the place to play the games you couldn't play at home because there was more you know grunt in the machines at, at the arcade. By the late 90s, it was the place to have game experiences that wouldn't translate to home hardware. So, you know, big steering wheels, big kind of like sit down hardware. And then by the 2000s and beyond, it was a place for skill games and, and strange reworkings of mobile games like Doodle Jump that I mentioned. And Arcade Club has every single one of these eras serviced. And, and being able to jump between them is just such a historical and, and sensory thrill. I just, I can't do this place justice. <laughs> you know, all, all I can say is that for me, the 600 mile round trip is a very small price to pay for what it offers. And as much as I felt absolutely fucked the next day, <laughs> totally worth it. Totally, totally worth it. Was there the Cruise and Blast cabinet there? There was not. <gasps> uh, it would be my only suggestion because I would love to play more of that. And the only time I've played it in the arcade was me and Georgia found one in Herne Bay yeah. at the seafront. And we had a race together and that was great. But obviously it cost a pound a go. Mm. So it'd be fantastic if I could do that for two hours for no pounds. Yeah. <laughs> but either way, either way, it's, you know, a, a very small loss, I guess, considering what else is there. The other game I've played, Jonathan, Hello. is... Elden Ring. Yes. <laughs> I'm so excited that you're still playing. I've carried it. on. I've carried on. I can't quite explain how good a feeling it was to have the flash of inspiration to revisit the Tree Sentinel. Mm. You know, the first enemy that greets you when you enter the world proper. And and that time that I'd gone back, I managed to get a hit or two in, and then suddenly thought, I can do this. <laughs> I I think I can do this. And it probably took like four or five attempts, maybe. Mm. But every time I managed to time and land like a horsey 
drive-by underarm swing with a pickaxe I was carrying. I wanted to get out of the chair and punch the air. (laughs) It felt amazing. And and on my first or second try, I I managed to get him down to probably a single hit's worth of health. And... I, w- I was so, like, just a ball of nerves. I got really cocky. I was like, I, I can fucking do yeah. this. Just, like, wanging the shoulder buttons over and over again and then just overexerted myself to the point I had no stamina left to dodge away and and then met my fate, obviously. The amount of times I've done that, you think, it's fine, it's one hit. I can do a Hail Mary and it just doesn't work. Yeah. It, does, it doesn't yeah. work. You have to keep your cool. It's, oh, it's... Yeah. Because that is devastating when you just see you yes. died with just like barely yeah. a, a, a couple of pixels of health oh it was a head in the hands moment yeah. like no, no exaggeration georgia was sat playing the sims the other side of the room and i just like sunk to my knees <laughs> on the floor and just like let out a wail but it, it was that particular failure that felt more like i had developed a proper understanding of souls games than than anything that come before yeah. it and you know a few attempts down the line when i actually beat him and claimed his big bad halberd. Oh, yes. Like it just oh it just felt like everything came together at that moment. And and I started to get the hang of, you know, the die and retry rhythm of it, the, the weight of the weaponry, the need to to pick your moment to lunge your attack. And and especially because I did this mostly on horseback, the way that the landscape in Elden Ring, coupled with the maneuverability of having a steed, means that battles can unfurl in a way that I imagine is probably more dynamic than the fights in previous games. I, I wouldn't know because I've not played them, but... Yeah, it's amazing. And and the way then that the placement of that enemy in relation to your starting point, it also becomes like a marker for your progress because you want to come back to take him on. Mm. Because in my head, I was like, yeah, what about that fucking cunt that did me the first time? <laughs> it's like, suddenly that's all I could think about. And it's like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to take him down. I'm going to spend the evening if I have to. He's, he's going down. And and it becomes such a great marker for progress because you remember what a shit time he gives you at the beginning. <laughs> and that area that he inhabits then and his get up and the, and the weapon having its own flavor text, like it all just starts to contribute to, to the game's mad lore as well. And it's it's fucking great isn't it <laughs> it's, it's really really good it's really good oh man like that one encounter i think has just acted as such a selling point for the game and and the open world as a format for this game and i said last week that i felt that there was still an intended linear path to it but i i don't think that's quite right it's more like a zigzag because i do feel like you're you're kind of pushed along that path to get to some sort of roadblock but then it is a case of then the game almost like nudging you to say, go back, you know, walk back along that, see what else you didn't see. What, what else is just off to the left and right? And, and you know, I haven't pushed past Margit's corpse into the castle yet, but I, I have ping-ponged back to all these other areas Good. of the map, all these named encounters, Good. all these kind of out-of-the-way caves. And and they start to feel like side quests, yeah. but not in a in a shit Ubisoft checklist yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're just things I want to go and do. Yeah. And, and they're... It's starting to give me that proper sense of natural adventure. And on top of that, just coupled with me starting to feel a base level of confidence and competence, it all just feels so much more enticing. Like it it really is a game and I think a series, obviously, for someone like you, Jonathan, that's played it for for a number of years now. You you have to put in the work at the beginning. Mm. And and I understand that is something that is not going to be for some people because for a long while it didn't feel like it was for me. But this is the game to do it in. You know, if, if I really get through this, if this carries me through 100 billion hours, however long it's going to take me, I can see myself at some point in the future going, oh, I'll check out Dark Souls. 
and going back because now it's not like a total impossible unknown. It's something that I've I've gained certain skills from this that could then be transferable into something a little bit different. And and that's really exciting as well because that's the same thing you felt with Monster Hunter. Yeah. You know, suddenly like ticking something off and feeling like, no, I get this. I understand why it's good. And I, I now understand why I'm having a good time. And, and that's been yeah. great. Top stuff. Top, top stuff. I am so thrilled to hear all the words that just came out of your mouth come out of your mouth <laughs> this is the revelation that i want everyone to experience with uh with this series extended series but certainly with this game minty you'll be next yeah so the big news for me in this last week is that i finally got my steam deck oh don't make me jealous uh i'm not gonna make either of you two too jealous by banging on about it but i do want to give it some coverage because uh that's what we do so deal with it first impressions fucking huge uh, I, I really <laughs> thought it would be comparable to the switch but it is a real monster of a machine and it, it sounds it too like with the fans going at all times like in terms of disguising a gaming pc as a handheld device it's a crap disguise because it feels <laughs> like you've got a lot of power in your hands the upside of that is that you do have a lot of power in your hands it didn't take me many hours before i caved and bought elden ring of course uh, so i could see what the steam deck could take and it's mightily impressive i mean you know the the 720p resolution of the screen doesn't make playing big full screen games necessarily the easiest thing i mean certainly when you see like the 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 little ui tweaks that developers have made when porting games to the switch like it makes you really appreciate what they've done uh because there isn't those sort of concessions made necessarily to to games on the steam deck so even if the games on steam have been confirmed to run properly on the steam deck it's got that big you know green tick of uh validation uh, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best choice of platform to play some games like i had a bit of a play of desperados 3 which definitely feels like more of a mouse control game there's a lot of small details and fine text that means it's, it's not quite as fun playing as, uh, you know, as it would be on a big screen. But the thing I will say about Elden Ring is that given that I'm obviously now very familiar with the game, having spent 120 hours with it, the thrill of playing it on a handheld is monumental. Like, I, I wouldn't say that it does the game full justice on the Steam Deck, obviously. So, like, I wouldn't recommend it as your first playthrough of the game. Uh, but given that you know, my mind has already been blown by the visual spectacle of the game quite fully. It, it has been nothing but a pure joy to play handheld. And I can't quite believe that I'm already 25 hours <laughs> into an entirely fresh <laughs> playthrough. And I mean, I'm just having a wonderful time all over again. Like I'm not doing anything drastically different with this playthrough so far. Um, you know, obviously I'm approaching it with a much higher momentum and drive. All the things that I learned in my 120 hours, I can sort of put those into, you know, into practice from the off, which is really, really fun. And the Steam Deck runs the game with no issues. I mean, uh, I mean, it's got, you know, occasional frame rate drops, which ugh, doesn't bother me. I mean, you know, this is not The Witcher 3 on the Switch. Yeah. It's 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 insane. It's insane that it's running and playing as well as it is. Like I sampled a couple of other games on the deck. I got Rise, Son of Rome, in the Ukraine Humble Bundle, I think yeah. it was. And like I know that it's meant to be like a very technically impressive game, and it ran and looked extraordinary on the Steam Deck. 
I mean, just totally mental. Uh, the game is very poor, uh, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. It basically sums up everything I've moaned about in games like The Last of Us and Red Dead and, and all these games that focus too much on trying to give you like a cinematic experience while neglecting actual gameplay. And Rise basically boils this down to its pure essence, which essentially turns it into one long quick time event with yeah. you just pressing buttons at the right time to execute, admittedly, really cool looking moves and attacks and sequences and stuff. But at its core, it's basically the same game as Dragon's Lair from the 80s. It's just pressing buttons at the right time. Nothing nothing more sophisticated than that on a gameplay front. So, yeah, I'm not going to play any more of that. I also started playing Tunic, which is this new Zelda-y, Souls-like-y, isometric indie action-adventure game. That's been quite nice so far. It feels very reminiscent of Death's Door, but it feels like it, it's doing a few things new with the formula that Death's Door you know, maybe wasn't doing. Like, Tunic really revels in giving you nothing to go on. Like, you literally find pieces of the game's manual in the game as you explore that will slowly help you figure out what to do, which is like, it's a really, really cool mechanic, and it's a nice little... I like the sound of that. It's a nice little love letter to manual. Remember manuals? Oh, I like, remember manuals. Oh, I mean, the action is fairly simple, but decent, and it looks really, really pretty. But I kind of feel that, like, with games that don't give you much direction like this, or, you know, like, sort of like the Souls games, you also then need to be able to have the freedom to explore. Obviously, in Elden Ring or Breath of the Wild, there's sort of that basic linear route that you can follow through the game. You know, there's, you know, whatever, but you are also free to explore and do things wherever you know you want just enjoy being lost in the world whereas tunic feels more like you need to figure out where you need to go and what you need to do and that only comes through trial and error in terms of like navigating this world like it doesn't feel fun to be lost in the game it feels stressful (laughs) and like i worry i'm gonna forget where i've been and lose track of where i need to not go and stuff like that so it's not, not quite grabbing me at the moment. I'm, I'll probably dip back into it at some point because it is really lovely. Um, it, it's had incredible reviews. But yeah, like, well, I've got Elden Ring sat there. Like, what am I going to do? I'm not, I'm not going to play anything else. Like, I can't... If, yeah. Anyway, the, St- the Steam Deck itself as a device is, is fantastic. Like, it feels... It feels a lot more open than something like the Switch. I mean, significantly so, actually. It, it definitely has the customizability that a PC offers you. I think it very much is like an Android device to a, compared to an iPhone yeah. uh, type, yeah. <laughs> type situation. It means you've got the freedom to change like control setups for any game. And you do that like outside of the game to make the best use of the various different control inputs that the console offers, which is loads. Like there's loads of buttons going on. You've got like twin analog sticks and two sets of, you know, D-pad style buttons and two shoulder buttons per side. Then there's also these two little trackpads below the analog sticks, which have really nice haptic feedback if you want to sort of mimic mouse controls a bit more oh wow yeah it's really really good there are also four extra trigger buttons on the back of the machine that you can like map to anything you want really so in Elden Ring I've made the back trigger on the right basically I gave it two commands which was Y and down which basically means that it's 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 mimicking using an item from a specific slot in my item pouch which i've assigned to my horse summon oh lovely yeah so instead of having to you know to 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 do two button presses i can do one button press and it's right there on the you know with a flick of my finger to jump on and off my horse and that's just fantastic the other control mechanism that's on the Steam Deck that I didn't realise is is a sort of like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a touch-sensitive top to the analogue sticks. 
So like the analog sticks know if your finger is on it, even if you're not moving the stick. And this is used to trigger gyro controls. So if you want to look around or aim quickly, like you can rest your thumb slightly on the right analog stick and then fizz your Steam Deck around to look. Oh. Obviously, I fucking hate that. I've disabled it in every game. But it's a control mechanism that I've, I've never even thought of before, which is why I don't like it, uh, because it's like I haven't felt the need for it. But I imagine that some people will really, really like that for very quick fine-tuning of their aiming in online shooters and stuff like that. I think I'll be into that. Like I, I, I really liked the the gyro control as a as a granular thing in Breath of the Wild. Mm, yeah. And obviously it works in Splatoon as a way of aiming. That's that's a great way to kind of yeah. you know, the balance between the analog sticks and, and the gyro is fantastic. And I think what's what's quite exciting about the, all these different options you've mentioned on the same deck is how customizable that will make every experience once people start digging yeah. into it. It's incredible. Like I haven't even looked into what people are doing with the console yet that's an element of the device that i'm i'm really looking looking forward to looking into like the the software like the operating system that the steam deck is running on feels to be honest it feels like it's in beta uh, mm. there's a lot of features that aren't in there that you would expect and the systems crashed on me quite a few times certainly as i was trying to get everything set up and installing and stuff like that and trying to tinker with things. It's a bit disappointing, but to be honest, you know, now that it's sort of set up and running, it, it, it's pretty it's pretty all right, but it is, it's nowhere near as stable as any console that's ever been released. But they are, you know, updating it all the time. Like, I do wish I knew a bit more about tinkering with like PCs and all that sort of stuff to start exploring the full potential and, you know, running other platforms and systems and getting emulation set up on it and stuff. But yeah, I'm looking forward to dipping my toe in that pool at some point, even if it's, you know, waiting for you to get one, Chris, and talking me, <laughs> talking me through it all. Yeah. All in all, it is a phenomenal device that allows me to get a lot more playtime on a whole library of games that I hadn't really had the chance to. And even though, you know, the battery life is akin to running my Dyson Hoover on Max. Uh, just <laughs> being able to sit, <laughs> but just being able to sit on the sofa watching Married at First Sight and take down some bosses on Elden Ring is unbelievable. I think one of the big, you know, obviously one of the easy tabloid uh, headlines about it is is to call the Steam Deck the Switch Killer. It's not the Switch Killer because Nintendo. Uh, only ever going to release Nintendo first-party games on Nintendo consoles. And that's reason enough to keep the Switch. And also the Switch is is, is really, is, is still absolutely lovely. It, it is small and discreet compared to the Steam Deck. The operating system is is rock solid for, for what it is. And also the OLED screen on the on the Switch OLED is still is better than, you know, the Steam Deck, which isn't an OLED dis- uh, display. No problems with the display whatsoever, but there's that, obviously, that added uh, contrast and clarity that you get with an OLED screen that uh, currently the Steam Deck is not going to match. Plus, you can also buy physical games for the Switch, yeah. and that's a big thing as well. For me. <laughs> yeah, for, for you. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, for a different reason, so I can trade them in after I finish, you know. Just got the uh, the new Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga game that's arrived, and I was tempted to, to get it on Steam Deck because it's you know, something to play on my new toy, but... It's not a game that I'm going to want to keep forever, even though I have got a lovely Lego hand solo in carbonite steel case, uh, <laughs> which I do quite <laughs> like. But I'm going to want to trade that in, you know, when I finish that. And it's going to run near enough exactly the same on the Switch. Yeah, it won't look quite as plasticky. You might not see all the, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, all the, all the texture. 
know. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to playing that game. <laughs> and uh, you know, like I said, there's still there's still so many reasons to uh, to to have a Switch and to 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 have both. It's you know, if it's it's not a rival uh, as far as I'm concerned. Speaking of the Switch, I did also finish playing Kirby, which was absolutely wonderful. And I'm enjoying going back through and 100%ing it now so that I can lend it to Minty to hopefully sprinkle some of its joy in your direction. And then we can hopefully discuss it a bit more at length on here. But I will say this at the moment, it is only second to Elden Ring for Game of the Year. Oh, wow. It's utterly outstanding i've just been in, in constant awe of its inventiveness and it's an a- absolutely outstanding game i think if you're not necessarily a fan of curvy games i, I don't I just don't think it matters to be honest it's um it's just really really good it's a really good game there's not a single level or world where i think oh i don't really want oh god here comes like the ice world oh here comes like the oh this is gonna here's an underwater level oh every single world is just brilliant so there we go that's what I've been playing. So to keep these episodes a bit shorter, what we've decided to do... <laughs> this should definitely be a running joke every time this happens. Jesus, yeah. So it's amendment time, and this week's amendment is coming from Christopher Dow. That's me. Please, can you tell us what game you're putting into your list and tell us what is going out? Easy peasy today. This is a straight in and out piece of housekeeping, essentially. Smash Bros for Wii U, which is technically Smash Bros 4, is going out. And Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is going in. Same spot. Cool. So join <laughs> us the next there. week. And- <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I thought about saving this particular swap for the end of the season and having it as a sort of like, oh, by the way, kind of switch, just like the tidy up at the end. But Smash Bros., you know, at number 50 on the list was always intended to be representation for the whole series because, you know, a few games kind of acted in that way on mine. But the more I thought about Ultimate as a package, the more I felt it deserved proper billing. And, and when I started really like turning that over in my head, I thought, no, I, I want to talk about this properly. I want this to kind of get its own time in the spotlight and not to be relegated to the end. I'll say this now, there will never be a product like Super Smash Bros. Ultimate again. Never, ever, ever. <laughs> like, whatever Smash is going to look like in the future, it will not be the heady excess that Ultimate represents. And it certainly won't have the wild cross-franchise and publisher representation. That means that at the moment you can boot the game up and have a matchup between Namco's Pac-Man, Sega's Sonic the Hedgehog, Konami's Solid Snake, SNK's Terry Bogard, and then have a Nintendo <laughs> Mii Sword Fighter wearing an Assassin's Creed costume. Never going to happen again. Absolutely not going to happen again. Because look at Fortnite, okay? Fortnite is, is one of the most popular games on the market. It's seen crossovers at this point with Tomb Raider, with Street Fighter, with Marvel, with musicians like Dead Mouse and Travis Scott. And yet... The paperwork is only getting inked because these are limited time events. So it's like, here's Spider-Man, enjoy him for a season, and he'll be gone in a month. Like, here today, gone tomorrow. That's that's, that's what it is. And this is a live service game, so it's not something that has a, a finished form that you can dip back into. Whereas Smash Ultimate is a complete game, and it's on a cartridge, though I will concede, obviously, that DLC and a billion updates since launch means that the data on my cartridge doesn't really represent the game as it is now. But it was always meant to be a complete thing that you could come back to and enjoy into the future. And it's not a live service. It's not a blink and you'll miss it seasonal event. It's a game that's primary intention, I think, from the off was to celebrate gaming and celebrate gaming history as a whole. And the roster at the end of its second run of DLC characters is so stuffed it honestly feels like a fever dream (laughs) (laughs) like i I talked the other week about taking fighters megamix out of the list saying that essentially everything it did well smash does better 
and and this is the real point of that i think because yes it's not as sega focused as that product was but if you take you know the incredible artwork that long kind of widescreen piece of art that's been the amazing promo image that was essentially wheeled out every time smash got an update and is about as long as my arm <laughs> you know if, if it's spread out in that picture now you've got simon belmont rubbing arms with minecraft steve you've got <laughs> pt the piranha plant gnashing alongside banjo kazooie you've, you've got Mega Man and samus around you've got fucking Tekken's Kazoya Mishima and, and King K. Rule. It is mad. <laughs> it is absolutely mad. And then when you break it down away from just the characters, away from the playable bit, there's 1,100 music tracks in this game. <laughs> 1,100 tracks. And, and that represents every single franchise present with a combined total of close to 40 hours of music. It's just insane. 40 hours. <laughs> like, there's, <laughs> there's, there's stages and there's summons and there's background characters and there's spirit icons for everyone and everything. Just anything it's possible to imagine, it's probably in here somewhere. And it, it's such a joy to see it all in one place. A big bundle that just the whole modus operandi was just to go, video games are fucking cool. We <laughs> fucking love games. And it's all here. And the, all of this is mostly balanced as it is, is almost unthinkable. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sure competitive players will whinge about the kind of wider meta game. And, and last time I checked, the online netcode was a bit cups on strings. <laughs> like, when we tried to play it as a trio, oh, yeah. uh, it was unplayable. It was unplayable. And I don't know if that's because maybe one of us had a weaker connection. Maybe it was Wi-Fi letting us down rather than a hardwired one. But I, I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the game functions at all in a way which makes a potential matchup between Isabel, Mr. Game & Watch, <laughs> Ryu from Street Fighter and Princess Peach enjoyable. Whether or not you're playing with AI or with friends, it's just... It's unfathomable. It's it's the most bananas thing that's ever happened, honestly, in games. It's, it's, it's stupid. And it's just, it's such a generous game in terms of content as well. Because, you know, as much as we, as as kind of fans of the series, would have loved for the target runs to come back, or, or for kind of, you know, the bonus stage that features identikit for every player's main arcade ladder, it does feel quite lazy when you're playing it for the 60th or 70th time. But... Everything else, like man alive, everything else in this game is just, it's an astonishing achievement of planning, of licensing, of, of positive iterating, and, and of, a, of a director's vision, you know, of, of Sakurai sitting there going, I'm going to make it happen. We, we're going to get everyone back for this. And it's somehow a fighting game for people that do not care about fighting games at all, as well as for those that are technically minded. Because there, there are people that, that take this very, very seriously and can tell you, you know, you know, the frame data for every move and all this stuff that generally you'd associate with a series like Street Fighter, something a bit more kind of technical. It's just, it's a game of insane spectacle, really. And on top of all that, everything I've said so far, that it is running flawlessly on a console that is less powerful than Minty's new mobile phone, <laughs> um, is, <laughs> it, it makes my head hurt. To, to understand how this is running 60 frames a second, 1080p on, on the Switch. like It should not be possible. I, I think I said this back when we were playing the game contemporaneously when it first came out. If you don't enjoy and like Smash Bros, you don't like games. I, I think it really is as simple <laughs> as that. Because I'm sure there are people, it's like, you know, they play FIFA and, and Call of Duty, and that's absolutely fine. I've got no problem with that. But you don't enjoy games. You enjoy two specific games. If, if you have any interest in games just a little bit wider in terms of your, your personal view, Smash Bros. is something you'll have fun with. It's impossible not to. And, you know, 
Ultimate was an upgrade that was always going to happen in this list. But I really did feel that it deserves to be talked about because it's such a masterwork of, of simultaneous success and balance. And it is just a game about games for those that like games. And I don't think anything else really ticks those boxes. You know, you've, you've got Mario Kart is up there, I guess. But something like Smash is celebrating so much more than Mario Kart in its current format will ever encompass that it's, you know, it stands completely alone, I think, in terms of being something to really hold up and say, this industry is is big now. It's been around as kind of like a, a real kind of big financial driver for, for 40 plus years at this stage. And almost every one of those years is represented in some way in Smash Bros. Ultimate. It's a very, very good thing. Uh, and, and I think everyone should own it, even if you don't have a Switch. Just have it on the <laughs> shelf, because it's a way of saying that you appreciate where this stuff has come from. Uh, th- th- this is a real amalgamation of so much before it that I, I think it, it deserves to be kind of framed there somewhere in museums, just as a way that, like I said, you're not going to get this again. This, this is the last time this is this is financially possible, I think, for any publisher to pull together. And you've got to give them credit for that. It's it's a wonderful game. Minty, you had, did you have Smash Brothers in your list? Uh, I did, yes. Yeah, let me have a look. Should we just take the opportunity just to, to, to do the admin? And uh, I'm going <laughs> to... Just upgrade it across all three. The funny thing is, though, I've got su- I've still got such a personal connection to Super Smash Brothers Melee. I think that's fine. That's absolutely fine. That I think if it was a... Ch- I mean... <sighs> That game means more to me. Yeah. But there's obviously no way in hell that anyone's arguing that if you could only take one game, you wouldn't take Ultimate. That's mm. insane. But there's so much about Super Smash Bros. Melee that, that I loved. It was it was it was absolutely grotesquely huge, but still felt completable. Yeah. Whereas Ultimate, maybe not. <laughs> Depends on the time you put into it, but it's it's a big game, yeah. isn't it? I mean, the time I put it down, I finished it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I I didn't sort of check back in to keep getting the 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 new spirits and stuff that were being uh, introduced, sort of uh, it, it, on an event basis. But I have still, I still will drop back in to, uh, to you know, to, to play the DLC. I had no problem sort of subscribing to those DLC packs. I mean, it's the best version of one of the best games ever made. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it's 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 a true beacon of games and celebration of games. It's 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 extraordinary. <laughs> it's absolutely extraordinary when you really do sort of like boil it down to those things, and you look at look at those those hard facts of the different characters, the different franchises, the different companies, the different eras that are being crossed. It's just stupid. <laughs> Melee is in my list, but Smash Four is not for uh, for well for the reasons that you described. Um, Ultimate obviously is demonstrably better than Melee, but. I just prefer melee. I have much more fonder memories of it. Yeah. Sadly, um, that's not sad, Minty. You no, it's fantastic. I, yeah, I think yeah. it's yeah. because I, I didn't have a GameCube. You know, if if I was playing alongside uh, you, Jonathan, when you were obsessed with it at school, I, mm. I might have had a very similar feeling. If if I owned a GameCube and, and kind of, mm. you know, was having that conversation with you every day about desperately trying to get all the trophies and everything else, <laughs> I may well have felt very similar. But because I kind of skipped that generation, essentially, I didn't play it again until Brawl on the Wii and then the Wii U and then, yeah. and then the Switch. Those ones have kind of felt closer together in terms of identity, except just being better generation on generation. Yeah. Whereas perhaps, you know, Melee still has enough of its own flavor that it's the reason why a lot of competitive things still use that 
you know you know it controls a certain way there's kind of certain tweaks that are now not there anymore or, or kind of will perform slightly differently that mean that people keep going back to it so i don't think there's any problem yeah. kind of keeping that if, if you think it better represents your opinion and, and your kind of um love for the series i think it's mad that people still like the gamecube controller is still the best way to control super smash brothers yes yeah, yeah like what a testament to that controller it's just the best controller. It's the most comfortable controller. When when Ultimate yeah. came out, I don't know if this will make the cut or not, but I'll tell the story anyway. When Ultimate came out, it was the point where I had uh, my previous relationship had ended. Yeah. And and Tom very nicely took me up to Manchester to the arcade club as kind of like a you know we'll cheer you up, we'll, we'll go and do some fun stuff. And it coincided with with Ultimate launching. I've just seen Jonathan Tunn is now playing Elden Ring. <laughs> 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 There's no hiding when you're in the Steam ecosystem. Jesus. What have I done? It coincided with the release of, of Smash Ultimate. I drove past the house I had been living in and the package with Smash Ultimate and the GameCube controller was behind the wheelie bins. So I didn't have to didn't even have to go in the house. I just picked up the parcel, got in the car and drove to Manchester and we played it all night before we then went to the arcade club the next day. It's just really good. It's really good. So there we go. That was Chris's amendment for this week. And it was Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share the podcast on your social media platforms and chat to us on ours at O3C Games on pretty much everything. Tell us what you're playing. If you've got a suggestion for another hot topic uh, to be discussed in the future, then, uh, then let us know. Or you can reach out to us individually. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. It's me at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I, Clement underscore Boo. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing, you want to engage with us even more, head to patreon.com slash O3C Games. Pledge a little bit of money towards us. We'd, oh, we'd appreciate it hugely. And you can join us in the Discord, which is just fantastic. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you don't do that, I could just meet back here same time next week. Same time next Monday. That's the one. <laughs> Sequelcast 2 and Friends looks at movies and video games and franchises one movie and game at a time. Hosted by Matt Bradley Shurgi, Thrasher, and Alex Miller, been going since 2009, and we're part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Superhero stuff you should know! Go deeper than you've gone before into your favorite comic book films, storylines, and characters. Superhero stuff you should know. Part of the HyperX Podcast Network. (laughs) New this April from HyperX. It's the HyperX Clutch Controller. Get better control of your mobile gaming with its comfortable grip, directional pad, analog sticks, and shoulder buttons. This versatile controller can fit a variety of phone widths and can also connect wirelessly for use on tablets and PCs. Learn more, pick up one online at HyperX and HP.com, Amazon, Micro Center, Target, Best Buy, many other fine retailers, probably in the UK as well. Hopefully, I don't know. Have a look.